Hey, thanks for tuning into our podcast today. My name is Derek Puckett. I'm the lead pastor at Renewal Church of Chicago. If you want to know more information about us, you can head to our website at RenewalChicago.com. I pray today that this message is a blessing and an encouragement to your soul. Amen. Well, if you got a Bible, go ahead and meet me in Hebrews chapter 12. That's where we'll be uh, this morning, Hebrews chapter 12, and we're going to read verses 3 through 17. Hebrews chapter 12. We're, we're almost home in the, in the book of Hebrews. We'll finish it up next week. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 3 through 17. Continuing in our series, Jesus reigns supreme. If you've got to go ahead and stand on your feet with me if you're able. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 12. Verses 3 through 17. You got to say got it. Starting in verse 3, here now the reading of God's words. It says, Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood, and have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all, you, all have participated, then you are an illegitimate Children, you are illegitimate children and not sons. Wow. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. Say holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, lift up your drooping hands. I love it. Lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what may what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness with without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. Very word of God, amen. Today I want to preach on the topic unfamiliar discipline unfamiliar discipline let's pray before we go any further father thank you so much for your word thank you for your goodness god thank you for who you are lord i do ask right now that you would decrease me so that you increase god hide me behind your cross as i pray every week father have your way in this place we need a word from you not from me but from you May the meditation of my heart and the words of my mouth be acceptable in your sight, our Lord and Redeemer. We all said together, amen, amen. You can be seated. 
discipline, I think is probably one of the most misinterpreted formative tools that we have in society today. And discipline done right can not only save somebody's life, but it's a very good thing for the individual that's being disciplined. The problem is that I believe in our society, or even us individually, we've made discipline synonymous with punishment. Therefore, it's created this performance-bent mentality in society because nobody in their right mind wants to be punished. This means that, that we, we've learned to hide ourselves. We've become escape artists. We've become great liars. Simply, we have learned how to perform. Uh, truth be told, true story, one of, one of the most formative moments of my my childhood, when I was growing up in Gary, Indiana, I remember this. We were in kindergarten. Uh, Miss Amarova, we say kindergarten in Gary, but I know, I know it's kindergarten. That we, I was in kindergarten, and my friend Dante got in trouble. I don't remember what Dante did. He just got in trouble, and somehow it got reported to the principal's office. Now, at the time, my class, we were in the library, and I think we were having some type of circle reading time or something like that, and my principal, her name's Miss Givens, she used to wear, she was nice, dapper, she wore all these bright colors, but she always had heels on. So she walks down the hall, and you just hear it, clickety-clackety, clickety-clackety, clickety-clack, just coming down the hall, and you know it's about to go down. She, she comes in the library, and she's like, Dante! She's loud, y'all. Dante! Dante comes out. And I'm like, oh, snap, what's about to happen? Now, picture the scene. Dante walks out. In one hand, Miss Givens has a paddle with holes in it. Some of y'all, this, this was legal back then. They had a, she had a paddle with holes in it. And she put my man Dante, I'm in kindergarten, she put him over the table. And it was one of them whippings where, where you talk to people while you whipping. And she's like, she's like, Y'all don't want what Dante getting. Pow! I'm trying to tell you, you don't want to get in trouble because this is what happened. Pow! And I'm sitting there like, y'all don't want none of that. No, I don't want none of that. And she's whipping him. And the whole time I'm like, I don't want that. So I got to do something else. There's got to be a way to not get a whipping if I get in trouble. Now, now, hear me, hear me, hear me. I know some of y'all are like, man, that is crazy. You're shunning that. You're, you're, turning, you're tuning off right now. You're like, we can't whip kids in school and all that. I'm going to tell you the truth. Growing up in Gary, Indiana, it was a rough place. It, it was rough for me, and I'm thankful. I'm going to tell you, I'm thankful for some of the whippings I had as a child. I ain't talking about beatings. I'm talking about some of the whippings because it kept me off of the street and doing things that I wasn't supposed to do. I respected my elders and my parents because I did. I did. I'm going to tell you, some of those things I needed in my life. But this moment, watching my brother Dante get whipped and she's talking to us, the shame and that, the guilt, all of this stuff, I was like, I don't want that. And so in that moment, you know what it did? It bred in me this will to perform. Because I said, okay, I don't want that. I know I'm going to get in trouble, so there's got to be a way to work around this thing so I learn how to perform. And so I was pretty troubled as a kid. I didn't have two parents in the household. My father was gone, and they were divorced. And so I used to fight all the time growing up. And I would fight, you know, and I'm beating people up, things like that. But here's the thing. I had straight A's. And so we go to the office, and I knew how to cry. And so 
I would get in trouble, and they would take us to the office, and I'm like, I'm so sorry, Miss Gibbons. I didn't mean to do it. He just kept picking on me, so I had to beat him up. But, you know, I love school. I'm doing so well in school. And she'd be like, baby, it's okay. I know you're doing good in school. I got to call your mama, but it's okay. Go back to class. And I'm like, yes, I got you. I got you. You see, I learned how to perform because of the fear of punishment. See, what I'm trying to get at is that contrary to popular belief, discipline is not always punishment. Because discipline, hear me, that's coated with love and understanding leads to formation. Let me say it again. Some of y'all missed. I got a couple of golf claps. See, discipline that's coated with love and understanding leads to formation. Family, hear me. True discipline stems from a place of love and not retaliation or needed consequence. Discipline is for the good of the one who's being disciplined and not necessarily for for you to fear the heavy hand of the discipliner. Maybe you're missing this. Let Let me make it a little bit more clear. What I'm getting at is that we have this wrong definition of discipline. And because of that, our relationships with others and our relationship with God has been drastically shaped in the wrong way. Therefore, it's hard to understand or receive the love of God. We've taken the will and the way of the Lord, way, uh, way of the world, and we've thrown God and all of this stuff into the same bucket. And therefore, here it is. When, when, if I want God to bless me, then I need to do this. And if I do this, then he's honored. If I stay out of this, then I'm seen as righteous in his eyes. If I don't sleep around, if I don't lie, if I don't cheat, if I don't steal or date people that do, then God will love me. That's performance. That ain't gospel. That's not the Bible. That's performance. But yet when you read this passage, chapter 12, you see that it says that God disciplines the one that he loves. And the reason why is because discipline is for the good of the one being disciplined. See, my argument this morning is that many times we miss the goodness of God because we're too busy running away from his discipline or trying to perform so we're not punished but instead rewarded. Therefore, hear me, what happens is that we miss the holy formation of our souls. Family, God's not like my principal, Miss Givens. He's not like your boss at work. He's not like your parents, maybe, that were, where, where they just seek to punish you through the discipline. But instead, the discipline's for our good because he loves us. He wants to see us shaped and molded as we come out of the trials and the tribulations of life. So we're more proven. So we learn to trust him. It's for our good and his glory. But here's the problem. We don't like the process. Be honest for a moment. We don't like the process. We don't like to go through hard things. Therefore, we really don't like the discipline. We live in a microwave culture. 
We want everything right now. We want it fast. We want it our way. That's why we pick up our phones and we check our email and our Instagram 50 different times of the day to see if somebody wrote us or they add us. We want to see if they're thinking about us. Sometimes we're opening up our computer and we're checking our bank account as, some, as if some phantom deposit is going to drop in there every day. You know when your money is coming and what you spent, but you just think something's about to happen in there today. And you just check that thing over and over again. I know I'm in somebody's neighborhood right now. Or better yet, y'all, we, we got fast food restaurants everywhere. We don't want to wait on anything. We don't even use voicemail anymore. It's all about text messages. And y'all, I'm going to tell you, that is the most annoying thing in the world. People don't get you on the phone, they text you. I got like 500 text messages each day, and, and, and I'm, I'm sorry if I don't respond to you. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Some of y'all didn't text me up here, and I haven't responded to you. Don't hold it against me, I promise. There's a lot of them. It's just, it's just a lot, you know? We can't wait on anything. We got to have it right away. And so with all of this, when it comes to the discipline of God, there's a part of us that says to God, you can keep the process, God. I'm going to figure out how to get what I want and what I need over here. You can keep that, God. And the writer here today in chapter 12, is he's urging us to consider what Jesus has done on our behalf when he died and he bled for us. He's saying discipline It's not that bad, and it's actually for your good. So endure the process. In other words, it says keep believing. Don't lose hope. Hear me, earthly trials actually testify to the fatherly discipline of God. Simply means we got to go through some stuff. And some of y'all are there this morning going through it. Got three points. And I'm out your way. I got three today. I'm a good preacher, not four like last week. Number one, it says, is consider Jesus. That's our first point. Consider Jesus. Number two, discipline is formative. Discipline is formative. And number three, discipline leads to dependence. Discipline leads to dependence. Our passage today, it follows where we were last week. Where the author urged us to look to Jesus. He says, look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. He told us that since we have a great crowd of witnesses that have surrounded us and ran before us, lay aside the weights of life and lay aside the sin that so easily entangles us and let us run on Jesus. Chapter 12, there's an emphasis on endurance and and running forward, especially in a world like today where where just turning on the news can be overwhelming. He's saying have endurance. So, So he says, look to Jesus, not only because he's the only sinless lamb of God with no blemishes that went before you and died for you, but look to Jesus. And as as you look to Jesus as believers, what it does is remind you that this ain't your home. That heaven awaits you. That's where the believer's home is. So he says, run, but not in your own strength, but instead with complete dependence on Jesus. The writer continues today with the emphasis on endurance where he says in verse 3, look at it with me. He says, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that we may not grow weary or faint-hearted. See, what the writer is doing, he's saying, remember, remember all that Jesus went through. Consider 
all that he endured, all he sacrificed. Remember that he was beaten to a pope with cat nine tails where the flesh was hanging off his body and he should have died from the internal bleeding alone. Remember the crown of thrones and thorns that was on his head. And don't forget him hanging on that cross where he's bleeding out and dying for you and I. And then he gets up from the grave. He says, remember, better yet take all of this in consideration because he did it. For you and I. He took the wrath of God upon himself toward our sin for our benefit, for us to have eternal life if we believe. He says, remember, because if we keep what Jesus has done on our behalf at the forefront of our minds, then we can endure this life. Friends, if we remember the grace and the mercy and the love of God, where because of our sin we deserve death, but instead we receive the free gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord when we believe, if we remember that, we can endure. Remember all that he did for you, the writer says. Then John, he says in verse 4, you haven't even struggled with your sin to the point of blood. But Jesus did that for you. But then yet, verse 5, he says, carry on. You carry on in life as if you're not seen as sons in God's eyes. See, family, what I think the writer is really doing right here, what I really believe he's doing, he's confronting this constant turning away from the goodness of God. The constant lie that tells you over and over again, you can find your hope, you can find your joy, you can find your peace and your satisfaction and fulfillment outside of God. Y'all, you have to understand that the readers of this time, when Hebrews is written to them, Jesus hadn't been dead for 100 years yet. And they're already losing heart. But here's the thing. The problem that they deal with is the same one that runs rampant in our Christian faith today. As soon as something doesn't happen the way we want it to, or as soon as, as, soon as that happens, we run the other way. But as soon as, something we, do, as, soon as we do something that we're, we're not supposed to do or we feel like we did something wrong, you know what? In that moment, we forget the grace of God. We forget his love toward us. And we sit in our shame. We sit in our, our guilt instead of running to the Father and dwelling in his forgiveness and his love. See, endurance, as I told you last week, is to be able to go through the ups and downs of life while paying attention to all the bumps in the road, but yet not getting consumed by the bumps in the road to where it takes your eye off of Jesus and eternity with him. Endurance takes perseverance and suffering. See, so what I'm really saying is the Christian walk, in a sense, is not for the faint of heart. I know I'm messing with somebody's theology because you thought it was about your happiness. The Christian walk is not for the faint of, the heart, faint of heart, which challenges, hear me, the pervasive narrative of Christianity today that plagues our culture because we live in a day where everything around us says you deserve something. You deserve peace. You deserve fulfillment. You deserve love. You deserve money. You deserve happiness. You deserve all these things. And here's the thing. It tells you in the culture that you can have it immediately. And so if you, you believe in Jesus and you're part of a Christian church, and you're part of the Christian faith, when Jesus doesn't give it to you immediately, you know what? You can leave. 
Family, that's problematic. That's very problematic. And I'm going to be honest with you. I was talking to Pastor Steve about this this week. My heart has been in a, in a really in a, in a tumultuous place. I, I've been in this space where I, I've been feeling down and out because I, as I look over the last several years and I see Christians that I know and some that I don't know that are walking away from the faith, some because they, they've been hurt in church, some because they went to church and they didn't really find what they want or they've been hurt by other Christians so they walk the other way. And, and I'm not sure, honestly, if they, they really believed or if they're a prodigal son and they're, they're walking away and God in his sovereignty is going to call them back one day. But, but I do believe when I'm reading this passage that the author here is tapping into the heart of the problem because much of the issues that we face in this life for not receiving things when we want it has to do with the discipline of God. Now, to be clear, hear me. I'm not saying that church hurt or people doing things that are wrong to you is the discipline of God. That's sin. But it could be, hear me, that in that, God is teaching you to find your identity not in other believers, but in him. Hear me, the church is a people, and people are sinful. We're a mess, but God isn't. So somebody in here, you walked in here in a dark space, you've been hurt by the culture, you've been hurt by people, and you're like, I'm going to give up on this church thing and God thing. Hear me, God ain't that. That's not God. Don't give up on him. He ain't gave up on you. Don't give up on him. We are a mess, but he isn't. I need to say that to somebody in here because you walked in here and that's the place that you're in. I don't want to do this thing anymore. Do not give up on God. I love the way the writer, he begins this chapter in chapter 12, because he's speaking directly to the readers, and, and in a sense, he's, he's speaking to us right now, too, in the midst of this pandemic, where things are, are seemingly not going the way we want them to, and he, he keeps saying to us, he says, look, look, look to Jesus, look to the author and the perfecter of your faith, remember what he did for you, how he died, remember that you're, 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 through your belief you're saved, and there is a place for you in heaven, remember, he keeps saying, consider, remember him. Because this world, hear me, that you live in, that I live in with you, it ain't getting any better according to John 16 in the book of Revelations. Remember, because while you're here, you will experience hardships, some ups and downs, some trials and tribulations, but don't quit. Don't give up, the author is saying. He's saying God only allows affliction or things to be in your life to discipline you. To shape and mold you because he wants to use you. He wants to mold and create you into the image that he originally created you in. Remember, he says, and consider Jesus. You sort of get the imagery of, of a marathon runner. I know we got some marathon runners here in the church. That ain't me. I'm not doing that. But we got some people that run marathons and run a lot of miles in here. And in a marathon, you're putting your body through steady affliction, all of these things. You're, you're, you're training your body. And, and because you might run this race one day, you're going to run 10 miles this day. And then the, the next day, you may run 20 miles. I know it's a little bit more space than that. But eventually, you get to 30 miles. And the marathon is a lot less than that. But you're doing this on a day-to-day -day basis afflicting your body so you can build the endurance to run the race all through that one day 
See, you get that imagery where, see, God wants you to have endurance. But this all leaves the question, because Pastor D, look, look, I get the whole consider Jesus thing. But when you talk about affliction, I, I ain't trying to go through that stuff. I get to consider Jesus, but I, I don't want the discipline. I don't want the process. Hear me, hear me, hear me. Discipline is formative as a child of God. It's formative as a child of God. The writer in verses 5 through 11, he addresses this, and he begins by quoting uh, Proverbs 3, verses 11 through 12, and verses 5 through 6. Look at it with me. He says, And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastises every son whom he receives. He keeps going in verse 7. He says, It is for discipline that you endure. God is treating you as sons. Now, family, commonly when discipline was talked about back in this day, when the readers heard this, they would think of child rearing. They would think of correction. They would immediately think of punishment or training. And hear me, all of that's in play here. But when the writer, he's saying this, he's saying, look, look, the discipline is, is where God, his reproof shapes our endurance and our perseverance. So he's shaping our endurance and perseverance. He's taking us through some stuff. So, so what, he, what he's trying to get across to the readers and us today is that if we believe in Jesus, then now God views us as sons and daughters of his. And with that, what good father doesn't discipline his child for their good? So hear me, because somebody's still stuck on this. Discipline isn't, it doesn't mean that God doesn't love you. It's actually quite the opposite. It's kind of like when you grew up, if you grew up, grew up like me, or maybe you do this with your kids, you, you've probably heard this said, when somebody gets out of line or one of your kids get out of line and they need to be corrected, uh, you, you, you may need to lay the smack down or something like that, WWE style, you know, none of y'all doing that, y'all don't even know what I'm talking about. But, but you got to correct your child. And in that moment, you may say something like, now, I don't really want to do this. But I love you, and I have to do this because it's for your good. Now, I'm going to be honest. When I heard that growing up, I'm like, that is the cruelest thing you could say to me. <laughs> like, if you love me, why are you whipping me right now? Come on. But in actuality, we may not have understood it as a child, and your children may not understand it right now, but you're actually showing love through discipline here. Because the simple truth is that discipline takes time. It takes intentionality. And nobody has time to invest in something or someone they don't care about. That's a waste of time. This is why the writer says in verse 8, left without discipline, you're illegitimate. You're not a son. Because good parents provide discipline for their children. You won't discipline, hear me, you wouldn't discipline some random child you saw on the street. Now, now some of y'all might actually do that. Some of y'all... <laughs> Some of y'all might actually do that. Nowadays, you might go to jail for doing some stuff like that. But I, I remember growing up, I could get disciplined by anybody on the block or any of my friend's parents. I was I, walking miles away from my house with my friends and Gary. And I, I was, this is BC days, okay, I'm before Christ. And I'm talking to him, and I'm like, man, I can curse. I can do all of this stuff as long as my mama don't find out. And I'm miles away from home. Don't you know when I got in the door, my mom was like, oh, so you can curse now. And I was like, 
How you find out? And she found out because people cared. You see, when you care about your child, there's discipline. And as parents, when you simply care, that means you're going to have discipline throughout their childhood. It's going to be in order so they grow and they live in a certain way. The discipline leads to formation. Proverbs 22.6 says this. Look at it. It says, train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. I need to have a sidebar conversation here with you all because we're having a baby boom here in Renewal Church of Chicago. It's a pandemic boom up in here. I guess that's a good thing. And, uh, but hear me. Parenting without discipline is not parenting. It's quiet. Let me say it again. Parenting without discipline is not parenting and your children will end up a wreck, and that will be on you. I'm just being real honest here. If you talk to teachers and you talk to child psychologists, they will all tell you that children need structure. They need discipline, and they're learning from their parents, and if they do not learn from you, then they're going to learn it from somebody else. Parents, and hear me, hear me, hear me. It is a heavy, heavy Heavy responsibility. It takes a lot of intentionality and time, and it's the parent's job to do. And I know, I know, I know we work hard in Chicago, and we're trying to climb the ladder at our jobs, and we're trying to make as much money as we can, and we're trying to do all of this under the sun. But hear me, your children do not deserve the leftovers after work. That trip once a year that you take with your kids, that's not enough. They are the number one disciples in your life. Now, two things I want to say with this, because I don't want y'all to get it twisted. I'm not telling you to beat your kids and give them weapons. I don't need anybody saying that. That's not what I'm saying. Every child is different. And the way you discipline them, it's, it's a bit different with each, each one of them. Sometimes go to your room is for one child. Some of them got to have a little tap on the hand. But that takes intentionality and time. And with all of this, I need to say one more thing with this. I, I told you I got two with this. One more thing. I'm also saying, parents, you're not responsible for your child's salvation. I'm trying to help somebody up. I need to free you up right now because you're, you're burdened by this. Hear me. All you're called to do is walk in front of them upright and obey the Lord, saturate them with prayer, and watch him do the regeneration in their heart. You're not responsible for saving them. That's God's job. Some of y'all don't have kids. I need y'all to stick this in your back pocket because it's going to come up. You're not responsible. So let me free you with that thing. The best thing you can do is walk upright. Saturate with them with prayer and let God work. Let them work. Friends, hear me. Discipline is needed. And I know we live in a culture where people don't want to discipline their children. That's not biblical. That is not biblical. Again, don't hear me saying that you need to whip your kids. Discipline does not mean abuse. 
And I'm pretty passionate about this because let me hear somebody talking that they're abusing their kids in here. We're going to have a problem because that's my story. I was that child. I'm not going to tell you too much of my story, but I was that child. And here's the reality. There's no place for that in this church or any church for that matter. I need more amens than that. We're not having that up in here. There is a big difference, hear me, between disciplining to hurt and disciplining with love. But hear me, no discipline at all is not loving at all. The writer says, verse 9, earthly fathers disciplined us and we respected them Shall not much more respect be lent to God? Verse 10, our, our fathers disciplined us in the way that they thought was best for them, but the Lord disciplines for our good that we may share in his holiness. Then verse 11 says, look at it with me. He says, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. The writer is saying in these verses that earthly fathers disciplined in a way that, yeah, it, they thought it was, it was good and it would keep us out of trouble and we would respect them, but the Lord does it for our good. Well, Pastor D, didn't you just say that good parents, they discipline for our good? I did say that, but hear me, the outcomes, the desired outcome of the discipline with God and the discipline with your parents are two different things. Your parents' outcome, they desire for you to be a good human being. And if they're Christian, they desire of you to be a good human being that loves God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. But on the other side, God desires for you to be holy. There's a big difference between being holy and good. Good is about morality and doing the right thing. Holiness is about God. It's about being set apart by God. It's about being without sin. No parent can do that for you. God desires holiness for his children because there's no sin in him. So in order for him to create in us a new heart and make us a new creation, he has to discipline us or allow us to go through some trials in our life in order to shape us. And see, here's the kicker with this. As a believer, hear me, when Jesus died, he freed us from the very power of sin. When he rose from the grave, he defeated it. But he hasn't freed us from the presence of sin. It's still here. All you got to do is flip open your phone. Even after church, you'll look and you'll see something crazy, and you'll see that sin still exists in this world. But hear me, hear me clearly with that. Just because it exists doesn't mean we have to do it. Just because it's present doesn't mean we have to sin. Now, hear me. I'm not saying that we can achieve some sinless perfection on this side of heaven, but this is what the writer is getting at. This is why he starts this chapter in verses 2 through 3 saying, look to and consider Jesus because as sin starts to rear its ugly head in your life and temptation starts to come your way, if you look to Jesus and you remember all he's done in your life, then you can have the power to say no. But hear me, that takes discipline, Pastor Steve, takes discipline. That's why in the Hall of Faith, when we walked through that a couple weeks ago, in chapter 11, you see all those people, I tried to point out to you that all of them were sinful. They had issues. 
They all had to wait periods of time for God's promise, and some of them didn't even receive the promise that was given to them on this side of heaven because God had to discipline them. God had to let them go through some things where they could be shaped and molded to to where, watch this, in their faith, they, they weren't concerned with the things around them or the way of the world anymore, but the only thing they were concerned with was God. Abraham, I told you before, my man, he had to wait 25 years on the promise of his son Isaac. He was 100 years old. He had, he had to wait for his son. And in the midst of that, that man did a whole bunch of jacked up stuff. And then he had to wait 30 more years. And God says, go ahead and kill Isaac. But by this time, Abraham had been through enough stuff with God to where he trusted him. He said, okay, I'll do exactly what you said because he knew God would provide. He kept his eye on Jesus at this time, but he didn't start that way. My man Moses, Moses frees the Israelites out of Egyptian captivity. He's 80 years old. He's done a whole bunch in his life, murdered some people, all kind of stuff, 80 years old. But at this time, he's, he's trusting God. He goes in there and he, through plagues and miracles, people are freed. He walks across the Red Sea and then they wander through the, the wilderness for 40 more years. He doesn't even get to see the promised land, but he stays faithful because he keeps his eye. On Jesus. But again, he didn't start out that way. It took discipline. See, what the writer is trying to say here is that God wants you to be able to run the race, this life that's set before you where you honor God and him only. And that requires discipline, not just of your physical body, but of your mind, body, and your spirit. God is concerned with your holiness. And that only comes by looking to and considering Jesus. See, the believers, we, we look to Jesus because although we don't have the power to defeat sin, he does. So instead of depending on our strength to live this life, we make it our aim to be like Jesus. And don't hear me saying that we need to work harder. We need to be better. That's not what I'm saying to achieve perfection. That's what I'm saying. No, this means trusting in the finished work of Christ. Because when you trust in the finished work of Christ, then you can understand what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 when he says, when I'm weak, his strength is made perfect. When I fall, his grace is sufficient. So what this means for you and I is that when we mess up, when we fail and we succumb to temptation, there is grace. So when we run back to the Father telling him what we did and how, how we're, we, we need forgiveness and this and that, you know what? God looks at you and he ain't looking at you in a shameful way. He's saying, my son or my daughter who I'm well pleased because of what Jesus did. There's grace to run back home. See, the Lord's discipline allows you to go through some hard things and circumstances. It's not one where he he wants you to be better and just work hard and start to perform, but instead it's one of learning to be dependent. Because when you learn to be dependent, now you can share in the peaceful fruit of righteousness in verse 11. True biblical righteousness or eternal righteousness only comes from our belief in the only one who has truly been righteous, and that is is Jesus. So our righteousness comes from our dependence. Our righteousness comes from our belief in Jesus' finished work on the cross. But I know somebody in here is still saying, Pastor D, how does this correlate to discipline? Hear me, hear me, hear me clearly. 
Discipline doesn't just lead to formation. Discipline, just in case you missed it, leads to dependence. It leads to dependence. The Christian has to make a practice, and we're coming home. He has to make a practice, or she has to make a practice of turning to God first instead of turning to their hands. The Christian has to make practice of abiding in the word of God here versus abiding in what they think or what they feel. The Christian has to make a practice of consulting God in prayer before they consult everybody else around them. And hear me, family. This doesn't happen overnight. It takes discipline. And discipline leads to dependence. But it takes repetition. It takes intentionality. It takes some mess-ups. It takes some grace. It takes constantly believing in the goodness of God. Y'all, this is not natural. This is learned behavior. I remember when I came to know Jesus as my Lord and Savior, I would, I would fall and I would do all kinds of stuff and I would mess up over and over again and I'd do this and that. And I, and I remember I, I knew it wasn't pleasing in God's eyes. And what I would do is I would call my mentor. I would, I would call the guy who discipled me, CJ. And I'd be like, CJ, man, I, I messed up, bro. I did this. I did that. And the third. And, and he would be listening there just with a gracious ear. He never cut me off. He would listen to me. And then I will never forget what he says in response to me. He said, D, thanks for calling me. Thanks for sharing your heart with me. Thanks for, thank you for telling me everything that happened. And I'll never forget this. He'll say, but have you talked to Jesus yet? Have you, have you talked to Jesus and experienced his forgiveness? Have you experienced his grace? And I'm like, no, I just called you. Have you talked to Jesus? And he said, I say, no. And he say, okay, well, let's hang up. And I need you to go spend some time with Jesus. See, family, if you're not catching it right now, what he's trying to do is instill in me this utter dependence on God. This dependence on his love, his righteousness. He wanted me to experience the love and the grace and the goodness and the acceptance of God because of what Jesus had done on my behalf when he died on the cross. He says, as great as it might be, in his mind, he's probably like, I'm so glad that he called me. I might be. I ain't Jesus. And Derek, in order for you to run this race that's set before you, I need to teach you or at least point you to the place where you depend on him. And friends, here's, here's the thing. I, I, still, I still call CJ. And he, he tells me the same thing to this day. Years later, have you talked to Jesus, D? Have you talked to Jesus? And, and hear me, hear me. You've heard me say this before. This is why we need people around us that love Jesus more than they love us. Because if they love Jesus more than they love us, they'll always point us back to Jesus. That's good community. We need that type of community. Not the community that always agrees with us because you might be dead wrong. They agree with God. They point us back to Jesus. Now, friends, here's the kicker. If I'm honest, and I'm going to bring it closer to home with you, most of us in here are probably like me in that space. When something goes wrong in our lives, when we do something wrong, we click quickly turn to someone else or something else other than God. And the writer here is saying, 
Turn to God. I know what you did wasn't right. I, I know what, what you're feeling right now doesn't feel good. It's not right. It's not, it, it's not right in God's sight. All this stuff. You might be in a storm. You may be in a trial right now. But he says, turn to God and experience the grace, experience the goodness, experience the peaceful fruit of righteousness. That only comes from God. Family, here's the good news as the band comes forward. When we make a practice of turning to God and considering Jesus, then we can do, as verse 12 says here in the text, where we can lift up our hands and we can, and we can strengthen our knees a bit and we can walk practicing keeping God first and knowing that he is with us. When we've made a practice of running to God and depending on him, it gives you the discipline you need to walk through this life upright. And you can do as verse 14 says, strive for peace. Or verse 15, watch out for others so that they don't miss the grace and love of Jesus. God allows discipline in your life, family, for your good our good, but it's also so when you come through that trial, you can shine the bright light and love of Jesus in front of a world that needs to know him. Now, friends, I'm going to be honest. There's a lot that I could say left in this text, but I want to end with asking you this question. What is it in your life that you need to stop running away from and instead run to God with? What are you running away from? But instead of running away from it, what is it that you need to run to God with? This is me. This is my mess. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's your friendships. Maybe a job, your finances, intellect. Maybe it's just this pandemic. Whatever it is, family, hear me. As we get ready to take communion right now, I want you to begin that practice today. I want you to begin the practice of running to God. Whatever it is, I want you to just take a moment right now. Bow your heads, close your eyes, do whatever you need to do. Just get in a space where you're with God. And I want you to confess what's going on in your heart. I want you to confess the mess and say, this is me, Jesus. I need your forgiveness. I need your love. I need your grace, your mercy. This is me. text says that my man Esau at the end even though he sought after forgiveness and repentance with tears he didn't get it it's not saying that God doesn't forgive the point here is that Esau he was still trying to get the blessing here on earth and he missed the understanding of the eternal blessing he would have with God in heaven some of us are in here and we're running after the wrong things saying God I need this God I need that God's saying, I'm trying to give you life right now. Eternity with me. Take your moment right now and just confess what's in your heart. And in turn, experience the acceptance, the love, and the grace and forgiveness of God the Father. You can only make it in this life experiencing the love, the satisfaction, the fulfillment that we want if we rely and depend on Jesus 
who died in our place, didn't stay in the grave, but he got up with power in his hands where true life is found. Take a moment and say, this is me, Jesus. And let him fill your heart and work where he needs to work. Father, we thank you for this morning. We give you praise. We give you honor. We give you glory. God, I do ask right now that you would enter this space. I know you're in the room. And God, I pray that you would work in the hearts of your people to bring us to a place of repentance, but also accepting the forgiveness of the Father, knowing that you loved us enough to die on the cross for us, Jesus, but you didn't stay there. You got up on the grave, and that's where we find life, not just life on this earth, but life everlasting and eternally with you, Jesus. God, let us be reminded of that. Let us consider you and continue to look to you. And I know there are folks in here that have never placed their faith in you, God. I pray that they would know that you love them right now, that you're working in their heart to even get them to this place. I, I pray right now that they would fall on their face and say, Jesus, I need you. I'm done with my ways. Even the person who walked in here that's been off track, God, they would say, I'm done with that, and I'm, I, I want you, Jesus. I'm reorienting my way, and God, I pray that they wouldn't be working, but it'd be you working in their heart to do that. God, let us trust you. It's in the mighty name of Jesus we all said, amen. Thanks again for tuning into our podcast today. I pray that it was a blessing and an encouragement to your soul. I look to see you at one of our services at 9 or 11 a.m. on Sunday morning. Take care. God bless you.